Good morning. We are Simon and Garfunkel. We'll be leading you today. I don't even know what they look like, but I know the names. But, uh, how's everybody doing? Good? Oh, way too happy. But uh, if you want, it's good to see you. You want to stand up, we'll pray, and we'll praise God. Also, big announcement today. Allergies are pretty crazy, so I got some... Uh, Woody and Buzz um, tissues if anybody needs, all right? All right, Father. We come before you grateful that we get to come before you, that you've come to us, that we might come before you. Um, you came to us grabbing our faith and putting it in your son. And I pray that as we, as we see your word and your word is opened up today, that your word will be sanctified in us and that you would work and help us to know the great love that you have for us and cultivate in us a great love for you in Christ Jesus. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are enough. And that is all our hope, and that you are enough. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. How could we recount the ways that you have multiplied our faith? of your ways, the currents of your grace expressed on every home and every way, in the longing of our souls, in the darkness where we go. Oh 
Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your All right, go ahead and have a seat, everyone. It's good to see you all, and uh, welcome you guys who are uh, joining us online. I wish I could say it's good to see you through that lens that I'm looking at you at, but uh, it's good to see you in spirit for sure, as the Apostle Paul saw people in the church that he was distantly removed from, uh, but he could still see them in his spiritual mind's eye, gathered together uh, in spirit on the first day of the week. If you want to know the best place to be on the first day of the week, it is right here uh, or online if you're gathering. But it ultimately is in the presence of the Lord that defines everything about how we live our lives out. And we've been going through, of course, a year of pandemic and we're coming out of it. And it's kind of nice to look around and not see uh, everybody having to wear masks, but however, if you do still feel uncomfortable, please wear a mask. Nobody's going to judge anybody for not wearing it or wearing it or whatever, because this is a place that is centered on the grace of Jesus. Now, um, as we
Again, uh, we're going to be moving into uh, the, the, look, the book of Luke here pretty quickly. Uh, we've been spending um, basically uh, the, the better part of this year journeying through Luke and asking the question, what is it that we see Jesus doing in this story? And as we see him doing it, what is he calling you and I to do as um, we kind of are experiencing a reset. It's a new opportunity to start fresh, and I think um, it's really been wonderful to go through this story that Luke tells uh, to his friend Theophilus about who he see, how he sees Jesus and what he means. So before we begin, uh, I'd like to do uh, something, and that is uh, invite you uh, to pray with me, and uh, we're going to, we're going to, close out our prayer time with the uh, saying of the Lord's Prayer. So would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for that spirit that we have um, been able to just tap into as we've sang a, a chorus of love to you. And as your Holy Spirit has come into our lives and enabled us to express the gratitude and the graciousness that you first gave to each of us. Lord, we truly love you and we trust you more than ever, especially in an era where voices are so unreliable and so untrustworthy. You are our constant and you are our source. You are faithful. And we know, Father, that as you sent your son into the world out of a heart of genuine, uh, just exuberant generosity of love, we see that image displayed in the book of Luke in the form of your son. And we know as we see him, we see you. And so we thank you for sending your son. As your disciples morphed into apostles, learning and being mentored and apprenticed along the way, you taught them to pray as that moment that they asked you, Lord, we are ready, teach us to pray. And when you saw that moment, it truly was a teachable experience for them. And we thank you for the legacy of that prayer that we, we are about to pray together. And I pray that it would never become a ritual that has no meaning or substance, but rather it be a defining prayer that in all of its facets is a place where we can go and meditate on what it means to talk to you. So as we consider all those things, Lord, and we invite you into the service, into our hearts, and as we know that you have already invited us here. We pray that you would bless the word as it is proclaimed, that it would be in fidelity with your purposes. And we pray that as we pray the Lord's Prayer together, Lord, that it would be along the lines of the intentionality of the disciples. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
it's funny, I started praying kind of going in that direction, and I kind of was over here when I got done. So I don't know if I went in a full circle or not, but it's funny, whenever you pray, you kind of lose yourself, don't you? And as um, uh, we, we are turning our attention to the book of Luke, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be taking a peek at verses 35 through 50, or 36 through 50, rather. And as we do that, uh, I, want to, I want to kind of uh, set this up a little bit by, by imagining for a second um, who you are in this story. Uh, and, and it doesn't count uh, to say, yeah, I'm Jesus in this story. Uh, there's a couple other players in the story. One of them is a Pharisee who we kind of look at the Pharisees and we say, you guys, uh, you're very legalistic and you're very judgmental and you are opposed to the purposes of Jesus. And there are some Pharisees that are definitely like that, most of which probably were. And then there are some that are concerned about what Jesus is saying, interested in perhaps adopting their lives to his ways. And so they're kind of testing the water a little bit. And the Pharisee that we are going to be looking at, Simon, is that guy. And maybe you are testing the water a little bit. And then there is a woman who, by the standard of the community, is somebody that is looked upon as not worthy of being in a religious gathering. And maybe that's how you feel at times, too. And so I think this story is actually for all of us. And as we get into it, I, I just want to reset things a little bit. Uh, when Jesus encounters uh, the, the woman and, and the Pharisee at the banquet, it presumes a backstory. And if you're here several months, well, actually several weeks ago, we heard the very first sermon of declaration that Jesus gave. And it came from Luke chapter 4, right after he was baptized and he was tested in the wilderness. And he gave his first sermon, which was far better than my first sermon and probably far better than any sermon I'll ever preach anyway. But here's what he said, just to remind you, there are four categories of people that he's speaking about. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So you guys remember that? Hopefully you do. Uh, because it is basically the foundation for everything that Jesus does afterwards. Because I, I, I can honestly say I preach a lot of sermons. And I haven't perfectly conformed to everything I've said. But I definitely try. And by the grace of God, we go forward. But not Jesus. If he said it, he meant it. And he expected it to come to pass. There's a phrase there, though, that we haven't talked about much. And that's the last line of the, of the, of the paragraph. The year of the Lord's favor. Anybody know what the year of the Lord? There you're going to know. And yes, if you didn't know, the year of the Lord's favor is something the Bible called Jubilee, which we don't really talk about much. But just imagine if the United States did this, every 50 years, there was a reset. Captives were set free. Debts were canceled. And property that was lost 
got returned. Everyone got a clean start that year. Okay? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But then you're thinking, logistically, how is that going to work out? Well, the Lord knew that it was a messy environment that he would make this declaration into. And it wasn't easy working it out. But that was his goal, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that favor is ongoing into the 21st century, into this church right now. So I want to explore that for a second. Getting back to the question that I had at the beginning, do you see yourself as Simon the Pharisee? And maybe it's not a fair question, but ask, ask this as you're going through the, the, the text that we're getting ready to read. Do you see yourself as Simon the Pharisee, or do you see yourself as the woman? And here's how we're going to set it up. I'm going to show you a picture. Have you seen this picture before? Anybody seen this? Okay. What do you see? Just shout it out. An old woman. Oh, you see a young one. Wait a minute. How can it be an old woman and a young woman at the same time? Is it an old woman pretending to be a young woman or telling everybody, hey, because I, I kind of feel this way. I'm 57, but I, I tell people I'm really just a 25-year-old trapped in a 57-year-old body. And those who hang around me know I have enough arrested development that that could be true. But, all right, take a second look. Do you see an old woman or do you see a young lady? You see both. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to tell you. So, you can look at that picture and you can decide. And a lot of times it depends on where you're coming from or what you're acting to see. Is it possible to see a young lady in this? Some of you are like, mm, it's kind of like the magic eye books. I don't get it. Okay. There it is. What do you see? Because here in this story, what you think you see and what, you, what is actually there are kind of two different things. Or perhaps there are two different ways of seeing what we're getting ready to read. So here we go. In Luke chapter 6, or 7 rather, verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her hair. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If, if, if we really were back in that day, this is actually a feast where Jesus is the guest of honor. The Pharisee is the host, and there are actually laws of hospitality that you have to consider whenever you invite somebody in as your guest. And there are protocols that you, you need to perform in order to honor your guest properly. 
Now, we don't do that so much anymore. My guess is we really think about laws of hospitality. Maybe we might do a crash course YouTube video of Martha Stewart when somebody, you know, of, of, of special dignity is coming over. But apart from that, we're not really well-versed in that. But don't let that skew your understanding of what's happening here because there are not only laws of hospitality, there are expectations of what a person should do or not do. And if they did do it in a way that honored their guests, then they were functioning according to their laws. And if they didn't follow that way, it brought shame upon the host. Now, there's something else that's kind of lost, too. We don't have much honor or shame left in our culture anymore. And so, laws of hospitality gone, honor gone, shame gone. So, let's just assume we know these things, and like they did back then. Because here is a situation. Now, also, think about it this way as well. We're pretty private people. We have cameras on our doors that say, Who's out there? Whereas back then, everything was kind of wide open and everybody just kind of co-mingled together. If there was a banquet or there was a meal, it was kind of open and there would be not only the guests and stuff that were invited, but there would be hangers honors and things like that. It was a lot more loose in the way of personal space and personal boundary. This woman comes in. And it's a little bit of a shock because of who, how she's perceived by the community. And in the minds of a lot of the people who were guests, she didn't belong. And then when she comes in, she has a very expensive jar that probably is from India and is filled with a type of ointment that would cost a great deal of money. So moving on in the text, we read this. With her tears, she wiped them with her hair and of her head and kissed her, his feet and anointed them with ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I was thinking that maybe Jesus was perhaps on the right track, but now I know. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, let me just get it out there. She's a prostitute, or perceived to be a prostitute. And there is no question that in the minds of everyone there, she does not belong. And then there's Jesus. Where's he going to go with this? How's he going to take the awkwardness of setting the captives free, of liberating the oppressed, of declaring the year of the Lord's favor? What is he going to do with her in that very formal gathering of people who have pretty high-minded ideas that they want to talk about? So Jesus, um, well... If this man were a sinner, he would have known, okay, because he's, he's saying to himself. He's not even like, it's a thought bubble, okay. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. 
That's kind of how it went, okay? And then Jesus looked at him, and he said, Simon, I have, wait for it, something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love it more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. I'm going to stop right there for a second and tell you what the Pharisees and the people at the table who do not really care for the presence of this woman to be wrecked this experience. Because the picture kind of looks like this. Sort of like, no offense to anybody that looks like that, but sort of undesirable. Okay? And they're like, she's ruining it. She just came in, and when she came in, everybody saw her, and it was almost like she was a contagion. Like, unclean. Because the purity laws that were in play for Pharisees were paramount. They're, in their mind, the reason why the Romans are oppressing them is that they are not clean before God. And then she comes in. Ah, and Jesus, kind of knowing what they're thinking about her, told the story about who, the one who is forgiven the most, will probably respond with love the greatest. Okay, so let's go back to our scripture for a second. And as Simon is just wondering, where are you going with this, Jesus? Jesus said, here's where I'm going. Now, I'm going I'm to pick on my friend here, Susie, and I'm going to pretend like Rachel is Simon. Okay, Brent. Sorry, Brent. I know. So, have you ever had somebody talk to you when they're looking at somebody else and they're really talking to you? So, I'm going to try this. He said, do you see this woman? Simon's like, yeah, I have a picture over my head. And it looks something like a white drawing with black, white, black and white drawing. I entered your house. Wait a second. He said, um, I entered your house. You gave no water to me for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, pretend I'm looking at Susie, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He 
See, when he saw this woman doing all of this stuff to Jesus, it was really kind of inappropriate on so many levels. Wiping, letting down her hair. I'm just going to say it, okay? It was the social equivalent of a female going topless. It was something that kind of had in the minds of people that perceived it almost a, a sexual overtone. And she's doing all of these gestures. In his mind, he's thinking she's crossing all kinds of lines. He cannot be a prophet. This is getting really weird, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about my guest now and where it's going. This thing is turning into a disaster. And Jesus sees the thought bubble, and he gets it. And so he says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, one thing that I want to bring up about the story real quickly is kind of a question in the air. And a lot of scholars have concluded that was this woman saved right here or was she saved before? In reading the grammar and knowing how Luke writes things, he's assuming actually another story happened with her. And she was forgiven. Okay? And as a result of that, the expression was that of generous love. And I consulted several scholars on that, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the presumption. It's a major opinion. And it would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Oh, she did all that. I'm going to forgive your sins for doing that. It's kind of like working your way into Jesus' favor. No, she'd already experienced it. And when he saw her, he didn't see that picture that you saw. He saw something else. He saw a picture that looked more like this. Big difference, huh? Isn't it interesting how we see ourselves, we see each other, we see people that we don't quite like or agree with or aren't like us, and we categorize them and we give them labels. But you know what Jesus sees? A human being made in God's image, worthy of being restored to the noble place that we were called to live in. He sees a princess. He doesn't see her past. He sees someone that is a broken human being. And I'm not even getting into the fact that it wasn't like you could go to the university as a female and then get a professional job and have a decent income. If you were a female in that culture and your husband left you or you're a widow or you had uh, no children to help support you, then it wasn't unusual for prostitution to become an option that is one of not very many at all. So we don't really know her story other than the community said she is not worthy. She is 
ugly. She is outcast. The very people, and thank the Lord, Jesus came into the world to save. I think a lot of times those are the only people who really get it. And by outcast, it can actually apply to anybody on the planet who understands their need for the Lord. And Jesus knew she understood. What she did wasn't an erotic gesture. It was her way of saying, you do not know, Lord Jesus, the life change that has happened to me because you rescued me. I don't know how to express with words or actions the level of love and gratitude that I have for you, Lord Jesus. That's not a bad place to be in when it comes to knowing the Lord. It's actually a really good posture. You know, some of my best sermons have actually been preceded by this prayer. Help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Did you know that? I'll tell you what, some of my worst ones have been like, I've really worked hard at this. I think I got it. Everything's the way it needs to be. And then it just falls flat. Kind of like God says, well, you know, if you think that you got it, you probably don't need me. I'll just be over here. Well, let's get back to our story. As um, we pick up in the text where we left off, let's just go back to the slide that we were at. So he calls him out and says, there's some hospitality issues, Simon, that we, we're just going to name them. You know, normally somebody, when you come in, will greet you with a kiss. They will, you know, they'll, they'll anoint you, and they will do gestures that show that you're a VIP in their home. I, I never got any of that. What, what does that mean? And you see Simon's face just start to redden. I'm interested in you, Jesus, but I'm not really open yet to lavishing hospitality on you. Kind of weird, isn't it, how we get sort of conflicted about who Jesus is and what place he has in our house. So here's the laws of hospitality. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. Do you want me here or do you not want me here? She, however... She enacted the laws of hospitality and more. She hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. She has anointed my feet with very expensive ointment. She has wet my feet with her tears, and she has wiped them with her hair. Simon, she did your job. And I know that probably didn't win friends and influence people with Simon 
and those who are with him because sometimes Jesus offends us in ways that we, well, it doesn't fit the way I want it to go. But you know what I found during this pandemic? There are so many things I thought religiously were the way things should go, and Jesus, as we're going through Luke, is saying, yeah, you kind of got it right, but you, you need to come correct here. And I've been so gratified to hear that there are others in the room who've had the humility from a very humiliating experience come to me and say, we've been following Luke, and the things that I thought I was doing right, well, what I learned was, I was a little bit off in my religion. I wasn't quite putting him first and foremost. I wasn't quite appreciative of who he was. I didn't quite have that level of devotion. And for the people that remain standing after the pandemic, I would say a lot of them have said, you know what, there is no way I'm going to get through this without Jesus, because I can't trust the government, I can't trust this, I can't trust that. The voices are a cacophony of confusion, but there is one voice of clarity in the whole mix that seems to resonate, and that is the voice of Jesus. And it's a true voice. It is the voice of God. Because, you know, we, we didn't talk about other gospels that tell their version. Kind of like a series of, you know, you get on Amazon, you say, should I buy this product or shouldn't I buy this product? Well, John says this, but Mark says this, and Matthew says this, and Luke says this, but at the end of the day, they all say five stars plus. And John, when he tells it, he said, Jesus came to show us what the Father looked like. So if you have any confusion about who God is, look no farther than Jesus. And you have some confusion about God's posture in his heart towards us who are broken, look no farther than Jesus. So, I hope I've given Connor kind of a little bit of work up there to try to keep up with me, but I'm just going to read the last verse and then offer a few takeaways. So then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? He even forgives sins. How can he do that? And when they said to the woman, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in the profound peace that passes all understanding. And she did. She had to already have had it walking into that room because everybody assumed that she was the person that she used to be Everyone assumed that there was a real disruption happening in front of them, that she was an ugly person in the eyes of the community. But Jesus knew. She was a new creature that had been born again, that had been redeemed and restored. And she was 
beautiful because of her faith. They didn't get it because all they saw was, uh, no, no offense to anybody who saw the old woman, but all they saw was the old woman. Not to, not to say that, here's where I, I told myself, Leonard, you're going to get in trouble with this sermon. So I'm just going to say this. You thought you saw one thing, but Jesus saw not something different, something real. It's not like everybody's just making up what kind of filter they're going to process the image of this woman through. They had theirs, and then God has no filter. He sees it as clear as anything. The question is, do you and I? Because I think sometimes we wake up in that picture of that old hag, we see ourselves, we're like, you're not worthy, people don't like you, and, um, and, and, and all these things that have to do with self-shame and self-condemnation. Paul says that if we are in Christ, we're a new creation, and we are no longer in that place of condemnation. If there's going to be any condemnation, it's going to come from a voice that is opposed to the purposes of God. When God sees you as a new creation, he sees something beautiful. When God sees you walking around in darkness looking for hope and looking for answers, he also sees something beautiful that is waiting to be restored. So here we go quickly. Jesus, not what they expected. They were offended by the idea that God would extend grace to people who didn't deserve it. Because the Pharisees, I mean, I can relate to it. I like, believe it or not, I like having things in order. I like to have things right. I like to have boundaries in place. I like to do things the way that they're supposed to be doing. Done. I like to say things the way they should be said. Um, but they looked at him and they said, he can't do that. It wasn't what they expected. So here's my question. I've been hanging around a lot of people that have had babies or having babies and stuff like that. So here's my question. What to expect when you're expecting? Expecting to find Jesus. Here's what you should expect to have standards of personal holiness, absolutely, you should. You should everyone should have their own, their own standard of, of, of living in a way that's right before God. These are great things to help us grow in our faith, for sure. What else to expect when you expect? Can you have personal convictions? Absolutely. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have personal convictions. Just don't let them become barriers to others receiving grace like the Pharisees did. Because life change happens when you come to Jesus, not before. I just hope that when people gather in our church, we're not looking at them and saying, do they fit in, don't they fit in? 
should they or shouldn't they? Whenever I was studying the laws of hospitality, one thing I discovered was the Eskimos, if you're a stranger coming into an Eskimo tribe, do you know how they greeted you? They stood in a line, and the most powerful person there met you, and they expected you to hold your arms like that, and then you know what they did? They punched you right in the jaw. I'm not making this up. Brittany, am I making this up? Where are you at? Maybe she's not here. Because I showed her. I'm like, can you believe this? What if churches did that? And then the guy that punched you put his jaw out and said, punch me back. And then you punched him, and then the winner could say, well, you can stay or you can go, or we'll kill you. That is not the kind of hospitality that I find with the Lord. That is not what we should expect. But what we should expect is if the Lord invites us into his house, there are household rules. There are convictions. And one of our fundamental convictions is we have to be light to lost people. We have to love those who God is trying to redeem. We shouldn't expect them to be perfect people right out of the gate. Well, I hope your convictions are getting in line, but they should include an understanding of these last two things. And that is, as we just assess the story, and we're looking not at the picture of a questionable old or young uh, image, but rather when we see Jesus we should expect that the grace that he offers is available to everyone by faith. There isn't a person that I know of that God's saying, you can't become a part of this. You're not allowed. What God is saying is, do you trust me with your life? She evidently did. So much so that she was willing to go into that setting knowing that people were going to be judging her with every step that she made, but because her eyes were fixed on the Lord, she did not care. And there's so many things in life that cause us to waver, to cause us to sort of go one way or the other, but not sure. And the only thing I can tell anyone who's in that space, and I've certainly been there and, and probably am there periodically, is you just got to keep your eyes on the Lord. He's the audience that matters. And so here's the last thing. What to look for when you see Jesus? Jesus longs for each of us to find freedom from those things that oppress us, those things that keep us captive, those things that dehumanize us. sin that just has a hold on us. And to be restored. To become a new create creature in Christ. So my question is, does my pride like Simon interfere with receiving God's grace. Because that's probably what's going to get in the way. It did for me for a number of years. 
I'm like, I can't go to church. What do my friends think? I can't go to church because I need God, but I don't need God like that. I can't go to church. I don't want to get saved because then I'm going to be called something that I used to call other people. But there comes a point where your prayer, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, isn't just for a sermon. It's for life. And I hope that we are a body in 2021 that says we are here to respond to that when that prayer is given by somebody that's not a part of our church family yet. We want them to receive the same grace that we ourselves received. And that puts us at a pretty level playing field, doesn't it? No one is here because of anything that we did that suggests we've earned it. You can't. And that's not how it works. Because God sees us and he says, I want to rescue you because I love you. The end. And he defeats our enemy by a bloodstained cross that declares to everyone seen and demons and devils unseen, I win. But it's not about me. It's about them. It's about you and me, us. I win them back. But they're caught up in a lot of ideas where they think they're seeing it, but they're not. And we pray, Lord, give them eyes to see it like you've given us eyes to see it. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we just ask that you keep leading us through the book of Luke, through all of the twists and turns that are so pattern-like characteristic of the lives we live in the 21st century. But Father, I just want to speak specifically to each of us in the room, about each of us in the room. Lord, you know our hearts, and I pray that if there are walls of pride in the people that you love, you would break them down. I pray, Father, that <clears throat> there would be a healthy dependence upon you that would be expressed in a loving desire to have you in our hearts. Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room that does not have you in their life, in their hearts, as a place of devotion, that you would stir within us that desire. I pray, Father, that you help us as a body to receive anyone that you call to be a part of your family, that we would do so with grace and with mercy and with eyes that see as you see. Lord, I don't know who you're moving in this room to that space of identifying with you, but whoever it may be, Father, just use us to come alongside and to show the way. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
I listened this morning to the scripture that Leonard shared, a couple things came out loud and clear. Number one, opportunity. Jesus had an opportunity with this young woman to change her life. He had an opportunity to do something that, as people, we are very, very weak at. And that is to listen, be compassionate, to be loving, to be caring, to be understanding. And he took advantage of that opportunity and saved this woman's life, changed this woman's life, enabled her to become what he created her for. As Leonard said, it makes no difference that she was a prostitute. It makes no difference what her vocation was. The fact was, she was a sinner. And as we look at sin, there is no hierarchy. There is no level that this one is more important or more significant or more damning or more anything than another. They are all sin. And Jesus took compassion upon this individual. The second thing that came to mind and something that I have learned in my life from a very, very smart person, and that is the fact that everything happens for a reason. Jesus was with this woman, and this woman had the opportunity to meet with Jesus to save her life. He was her lifeline. And he took advantage of the opportunity to give to her what she needed. As Christians, we have that same opportunity. Every single minute of every single day of our life, we have the opportunity to change someone else's life. And you may not know what you're doing. You may not know who you're affecting. And you may be in doing it in a way that you really don't intend to do it. For all of us, we are teachers. People learn from every single one of us. And as parents... Sometimes they learn things that we wish they didn't, but it happens. We have the opportunity, though, to make a difference and to change that. And through this scripture, we saw that, the change that occurred, not only in this lady's life, but also in the lives of all of those people that were there. So as Christians, I hope that we take advantage of those opportunities and use them wisely and always act in compassion, in love, and caring, and understanding, and the realization that you know what? You and I are the same more than we are different. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, for the opportunity to be here as followers of your word. We pray that as we commune together today, that this cup and this loaf will nourish our spirits, that we may continue in service to you to glorify your name above all else and lead others to Christ through you. We thank you, Father, for this day and for the opportunities that it holds in each of our lives. May we take advantage of them and use them in ways that would glorify you. We ask these things through your loving name. Amen. Time as you need, Lord, if you'd like to stand with us, please, please do, and we'll sing our last song. the meekness to feel and give us the mercy to mend oh forgive us all our sin as we ourselves forgive Again, give us the meekness to heal, 
Oh, give us the mercy to mend. Oh, forgive us all our sin. As we ourselves forgive. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming, for more than giving us this great example. You modeled it in your life, and then you bought it at the cross so that when we put our faith in you, you look on us as you look straight at this woman who you saw as a person, not just according to her what she did to get a living or who she was as a sinner. You didn't validate any of these things, but instead the collector came and forgave her debt carried it all the way to the cross where he died for it so that when we see this in your word and we hear this story and remember and we remember the gospel that by your blood we're cleansed and given forgiveness you're the one whom we owed it to you're the god who moves in with us and you're the one who settles accounts and you did so on the cross and we believe that and lay hold of jesus christ you the righteous one. You then pour your grace through our faith and we're saved. May that occur for everybody in here. We dissolve hesitancies and, and all the yeah buts we have in our mind. And may our faith be firmly set on Christ Jesus and all that he is, all that you are, and all that you've done on our behalf purchase forgiveness for such debtors as we are. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Yep, all right. We'll see you soon, okay? Yeah, don't, don't forget about if you got tickets, you got the zoo next Sunday.